aim is to put down on paper what I see and what I feel in the best and simplest way. Ernest Hemingway podcast about writing and the writing life. I'm Paul, and I hope you've all had a great week. It's time again for Short Story Saturday, but this time with a little bit of a twist. Today's story is one that's still basically in progress, and it may end up ultimately as a short story in a collection that I'm working on, or it may end up, as many of my short stories do, as a chapter in the next novel in the Last Word series. In any case, I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you have a great day. Poetry Night, a work in progress. Sal arrives back at the last word after his breakfast with Ortiz, ready to plan out his next move, when a muffled stream of profanity emanates from the office shattering his train of thought. He walks to the back of the store, the words becoming clearer with each step. It quickly also becomes clear that Julia is the one doing the cursing, which both surprises and amuses him. Problems, Jules? he asks, tentatively sticking his head inside the doorway. If she's cursing, she also might be inclined to throw things. I can't get this damn newsletter to format correctly, she says in a more normal tone. Sorry about the outburst. Any customers hear me? A few, but no worries, he says, walking up behind her and looking at the computer screen. I told him it was Camden. He scans the text on the screen. What is this? It's our monthly newsletter, she replies. We have a monthly newsletter? Since when? Since forever. I swear to God, Terranova, you'd be lost without me. Don't you ever check your email? You're on the distribution list. It's a fake address I give people who insist on having it. You know I try to leave as little a trail, electronic or otherwise, as possible. He's about to leave her to her formatting problems when a large block of capital letters midway down the page stops him. Poetry Night, second Tuesday of the month. What the hell is that, he asks, pointing at the screen. She looks at where he's pointing and laughs. It's just what it says poetry night and whose bright idea was that and why wasn't I consulted about it it's Camden's idea Julia replies you probably weren't consulted because she owns half the store and she also knew you'd throw a fit how would she know that well you did try to replace the entire poetry section with books about sharks that time books about sharks sell he says a little defensively That's what we're trying to do here, right? Sell books? Poetry sells, she says. No, he corrects her. Bukowski sells. The rest just sits there for the kids and the poets to read a page at a time over a year period without actually buying anything. All the more reason to have a poetry night. He stares at her like she's speaking Sanskrit. How exactly do you figure that? This is how we sell some poetry, she says. 
poets come in to read their stuff. Their friends and family come in to support them, just like with a book signing. The friends and family buy up some of the poetry collections to show they're into poetry, even though they probably aren't. Some will buy out of either gratitude or guilt, just happy that we gave their child, friend, whatever, somewhere to perform that's not a dive bar. That actually makes sense, he says. You come up with that rationalization yourself, or was it Camden? I nudged her in the right direction with logic, Julia says. Now get out. I have work to do. At about the same time, just south of downtown, the Globe Bookshop is, as is too often the case, empty. Paco's found that while there is a loyal core group of readers who love books and translation, that core is quite small. Staring out the front window of the shop, he sees a steady stream of young hipsters filing into the new microbrewery that opened next to the gay country bar, obviously intent on drinking an early lunch. He thinks, not for the first time, that if his shop was the Globe Books and Beer Garden, he'd be in high cotton. Ah, Fort Worth, where the West begins and the mind ends. A silver blur streaks across his vision. A late model Acura flies down Jennings and careens sharply into his lot, barely missing a kid with gauged ears and a Radiohead t-shirt crossing the street to the brewery. The young man clearly ignored the Globe Bookshop parking only, all others will be towed at owner's expense sign. He'll regret this when he comes out in a few hours. The chime over the back door sounds, and a few seconds later, Wendy emerges from the back room, striding purposefully to her studio at the rear of the shop. Paco doesn't move. You almost clipped that guy pulling in, he calls to her. He should cross at the light, she replies, and he shouldn't park illegally. Why aren't you at work, he asks. I have two hours until my next meeting, and I have to get this piece finished. Wendy's a realtor by trade and an artist by vocation. She has the left brain, right brain thing down in a way that has confounded Paco for decades. The East of Eden piece, he asks. Tim something. Timshul, she says. Right, he says, finally rising from his stool and walking back to her. I guess somebody has to sell something in this place. Stop bitching and do something to drum up some business, she says, as she throws on a paint-splattered smock over her business suit. Of course, he says, walking past her and cracking the back door so he can smoke, because I can make the morons read. Do another poetry night, she suggests, as she slaps a heavy coat of ochre-colored paint over the top corner of the canvas. He glances down and sees a series of fortune cookie slips forming a trail from her to the door, apparently having spilled from her bag on her way in. Wendy loves mixed media in her art. Sweet baby Jesus, he answers bitterly. Poetry night. It would be great except for the poets and, of course, the people who love to listen to the poets. Just because you're an uncultured cretin doesn't mean they're not good for business. He flicks the butt out the door, walks into the small crammed studio space, and sits down on a stool that may not be designed to bear his weight. He never knows what's decoration back here and what's not. Business, he repeats with a snort. What business? Springsteen was wrong about that line in Jungle Land. It should have been, the poets down here don't buy nothing at all. 
Pirate poets buy stuff, she says, applying an old sepia-toned photograph of a cathedral to the canvas. True, but I can't do pirate poetry every time. They bring grog, she says. This was true as well. The pirate poets would descend on the store in full costume, and always with grog. He quite liked it. The music was lively as well. What about another open studio, he suggests. She shakes her head. Not enough pieces ready yet. They both fall silent. She works feverishly. And while she does, he flips through a new novel by a Uruguayan author that's breathtaking in its use of language and will likely sell no more than three copies. I think God's punishing me, he says, without looking up from the book. He's angry at me for something I've done or haven't done. My penance is no customer's. God can't get angry, she replies, without looking away from the canvas. In a lifetime of stunning things she has said to him, this may be the most stunning. What do you mean he can't be angry? Of course he can be angry. Cannot. She turns to face him at this point, cruelly annoyed at having to explain what she sees as obvious. In order to be angry, he'd have to be surprised by something. Since he's God and knows everything, he can't be surprised, and thus can't be angry. It takes Paco a long moment to respond to this. I don't think that's right, he says. The Old Testament's pretty much packed with an angry God. That was written by a superstitious priest-run theocracy. An angry God was crucial for them to maintain order. We're in the New Covenant now, and enlightened. You've been letting Terra Nova do that literary tarot reading thing of his again, haven't you, he asks. He's quite good at it, she says, with that disarming smile of hers. In any case, he says, angry God or poets or whatever, what you and I seem to have here is one huge, overpriced clubhouse, just for the two of us. You keep saying that, she says, and I think you secretly enjoy it. So I made you something to hang behind the front counter. She moves over to one of her work tables and picks up a framed canvas. It measures roughly six inches by nine inches. Be happy where you are, she says, handing it to him. He looks down at it, and a smile spreads across his face. It's a painting of the bookstore as seen from the outside, complete with the old bookman font for the name of the store on the glass. Across the bottom is a single phrase, best clubhouse ever. He doesn't say anything. He simply kisses the top of her head, then goes to the supply closet to find a hammer and a nail. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Angry Typewriter. I hope it's been both informative and entertaining, especially for you writers out there. If you're enjoying these podcasts, I hope you'd also consider clicking on the support this podcast link on the Anchor site. For as little as 99 cents a month, you can help keep these episodes coming, and it will also go a long way making this podcast completely ad-free. Thanks again.